from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. <laughs> uh, Eric Matisic on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing awesome. Steve, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be great. Oh, it's an honor for me, too. I mean, hey, I mean, you're pretty famous in the Denver area, so I like having celebrities on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, are you sure you got the right Eric? Uh, I, I don't know that one. I don't know uh, that one. No, you've done so much. But you know, before we get into some of the professional life, though, uh, real quick for the listeners, so for those that don't know you, just a little background where you where you grew up, maybe some early family life, some early school, you know, stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, I'm a hundred percent Colorado uh, from the moment that uh, I was born till today. Uh, I've never had an address outside the state. Uh, nice. I call uh, Denver my birthplace. Uh, I grew up in the Western Slope in uh, Fruita, Colorado. Um, and I came back uh, to Denver uh, to go to the University of Denver and have been here uh, building tech companies and businesses, um, uh, community organizations in the you know, startup and innovation ecosystem since uh, 1999. And so um, love Colorado, um, bleed Colorado, uh, do everything I possibly can to make sure that Colorado is uh, just, just nothing but uh, the awesome place it is for all of us to live, work, play, and raise our families. Besides work, do you have any hobbies that you do uh, when you, in your free time? Like, what, where, where would I find Eric if he wasn't working? Well, growing up in Colorado, uh, we obviously have a gluttony of spoils to be able to uh, uh, really get out there. And uh, I lived in, uh, in, a, in a place that was about, you know, 30 minutes uh, from any of the activities that Colorado stands for. So whether it was rock climbing, mountain biking, uh, skiing, rafting, cliff jumping, um, you know, you name it, uh, you know, Grand Junction in the Grand Valley uh, had access to all that. And so, you know, I, I'm, I love just to get out there in Colorado. I, uh, it's hard for me to classify my favorites. Um, you know, I've got young kids, and so I try to spend time, you know, exposing them to the awesomeness of our of our great state. Uh, but uh, you know, if I need to take a little bit of break, uh, you can always find me, uh, you know, hunting down some riffles uh, in, a, uh, in a in a nice flowing Colorado stream. Uh, I'm an avid fly fisherman, and uh, you know, I like okay. the quiet time on the river. Very good. You got kids? How old are your kids? You know, my kids are young. I've got uh, you know three kids, all under the age of ten. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I say that, uh, you know, every area of my life is a startup, you know, uh, and the, the only foundation I have that's rock solid is my marriage. Uh, everything else, everything else is, uh, high growth, uh, learning and iterating and, uh, and making it work. Three little kids at home during COVID and schools being closed and stuff. You know, I felt sorry for people, uh, you know, folks that have like teenagers and stuff like that, maybe a little easier to manage, but boy, whew, small ones. Okay. It's been busy at your house the last few months. <laughs> yeah. And we, we keep it, we keep it alive. And, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, and, you know, I think it's, we've had incredible, incredible teachers. I think one of the blessings about, you know, I've just heard so many stories across my country, Colorado, but you know, the teachers uh, and educators uh, in our schools have just done such a terrific job. Uh, one adapting, uh, to the teaching style, two, adapting to the health risk, and three, just generally uh, trying to be amazing humans to, to get our kids, you know, educated up. And so I feel like I've been, you know, uh, spoiled uh, with that. Uh, and and um, you know, they've definitely enjoyed uh, the mix of being at home and, and, you know, now starting to get back in class in kind of a modified fashion. It's been great, too. Well, 
buddy of mine told me the other day, he said, damn, I didn't realize how dumb I was until I had to actually look at some of the work they're doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I can often be stumped by uh, fourth grade math. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I feel that ever too, never so often. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so regarding your, your professional life. Now, weren't you, weren't you like a sales guy early on before you jumped into being an entrepreneur? I mean, it looked like you had a little early sales biz dev, but right away, you know, an entrepreneur pretty fast after that. Uh, I guess my question is, did you have this entrepreneurial bug way back in college? Did you know you were going to be a startup kind of entrepreneurial guy? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those, uh, I'm one of those rare ones that, you know, I can remember uh, being entrepreneurial as long as I can remember growing up. You know, I was okay. the kid that had the uh, stereotypical lemonade stand. Uh, I quickly graduated into uh, building golf ball traps and hunting down golf balls and selling them, you know, kind of okay. in my 9, 10, 11 year old ages uh, near a golf course we lived near growing up. Uh, I then graduated into baseball cards and you know, built a baseball, empire, baseball card empire as I went into high school. And then in high school, just, you know, worked my tail off doing odd jobs and running lawn companies and all sorts of stuff. So I, I always had this orientation uh, towards, you know, entrepreneurship. Um, in college, um, you know, I was blessed. I, um, I showed up in the University of Denver, uh, realized there were kind of, uh, you, know, you know, kind of two types of students there, those that were on scholarship and those that uh, they were blessed that they didn't have to need as much scholarship. I happened to be in the former, not the latter. Uh, I had a stack of t-shirts on my desk and said, man, who makes those? And so, I built a t-shirt company my fourth day of school, my freshman year that ultimately ended up paying for uh, a big chunk, almost all my, all my, uh, all my college debt and graduated from DU without uh, any student, student debt from a business that I built, you know, printing t-shirts and, you know, selling sweatshirts and uh, that I ran kind of all four years while I was at DU. How about that? Congratulations, graduating with no debt and, and going in, uh, you know, no scholarships. That's pretty, it's a pretty big accomplishment. Congrats. So before we get into um, high wing, tell me, do you want to talk about the commons or Denver startup? I mean, just give the, I don't, I don't know how much you want to go into some of the other stuff you're doing or that you have started. I know the, you know, we're going to talk about high wing a lot, but you've done so much. Uh, do you want to just give the viewers, I don't know, quick overview on the commons and Denver startup week? Sure. Happy to do that. You know, I, I would even back up a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, your business is so exciting uh, and the work that you're doing, you know, specifically in the cannabis industry, like it's an incredible uh, reflection of Colorado um, truly being the epicenter of innovation and progress uh, in, in commerce and in business. And, you know, I just feel like we're in this really special time that, you know, uh, whether it's uh, your industry, um, you know, whether it's uh, security, whether it's aerospace, whether it's ag tech, uh, whether it's software, um, you know, um, whether you know there's we've got an aerospace company that's building the first uh, supersonic uh, aircraft uh, that's been seen since the Concorde uh, boom aerospace like Colorado's just like this beacon of awesomeness with broad breadth innovation and so um, you know over the course of my time here you know I've been uh, you know helping build companies um, since 1999 uh, here mm -hmm. in Denver uh, and when I've not been doing that uh, during the day uh, I've been working to help the community and connect entrepreneurs and connect capital uh, to great ideas here in our city um, during that same period of time. So, you know, we were really blessed kind of, you know, when we think about coming out of uh, the 
you know, kind of a great recession that we all experienced, you know, the real estate apocalypse in 2009 and 10, 11, uh, that was caused by the, the, uh, the mortgage banking crisis. Um, when we came out of that, you know, Colorado was incredibly resilient. And I don't think people remember that because we had oil and gas and because we had technology and because we had, uh, you know, tourism, like we, we fared pretty well. Um, but at that time we did market time that we thought you know, the tech community really needs to, really needs to be escalated. And so, you know, with Brad Feld's leadership and our uh, attorney general, who used to be the executive director of the Silicon Flatirons Law School, you know, a program in law school at CU, Bill Weiser, you know, they had recognized and were asked by, you know, a program that was affiliated with the Obama administration to really jumpstart our tech communities. Uh, it was called the Startup America Partnership. And so, you know, I think always being involved in some of the work that's been happening in the community in 2011, we really turned it up. And, um, you know, with a, with a group of folks uh, over some beers at the Wincoop, uh, we launched our first Denver Startup Week in 2012. Um, and really with the vision just to celebrate entrepreneurship with a program built for entrepreneurs, by entrepreneurs, for the future of entrepreneurs in Denver. Uh, I think that's become kind of a staple of the community. Um, you know, much less doing the mind uh, than the awesomeness of the entrepreneurs that are on stage every year telling their story, telling their mm. how they did it, like why Denver is great for that, you know, the skills they've acquired and the talent and the help they've got here to build their businesses. Denver Startup Week is just truly a story of our community in our innovation every year. And it's just awesome to see the founders and all the attendees just you know, brag about how awesome that the city is, but more importantly, that it's just a great place to build companies. So that's been, that's been really fun to watch. And, you know, pre, pre, uh, pre pandemic, uh, we hit our all time high, you know, 20,000, you know, uh, people attended in, uh, 2019, um, in, you know, obviously in 2020, we had our largest, uh, virtual conference in the history of the, uh, of the events. Our first and only largest uh, you know, fully virtual conference with almost 10,000 attendees that showed up last nice. year, 100% nice. virtual. So that's been fun. Um, Commons on Champa was really built to become the uh, Denver Startup Week year round. So Denver Startup Week, seven days. Uh, Tammy Dore, who's an incredible leader who leads the Downtown Denver Partnership. Um, she, she's one of the co-founders of Denver Startup Week. Um, you know, she was actively working with the uh, with the mayor and the mayor's team, and I was I was leading the College Technology Association at the time, and uh, we had this you know discussion you know one afternoon of like what if what if this awesome thing we just started could be not just a day but 365 days a year? What would it look like? What would a physical space look like? And um, her and I co-founded uh, the Commons on Champa at uh, 1245 Champa Street, really in partnership with the City of Denver, the College Technology Association, down. Yeah partnership with the vision of making a place for underrepresented entrepreneurs to have access to resources. And, um, you know, when you fast forward, this would be, you know, uh, I think this would be our seventh year. Um, it's been amazing to see the impact. You know, we have thousands of entrepreneurs that go through there a year. Uh, we try to keep all of our you know, services at low cost or no cost. Um, and we want that just to be a spring, springboard and connected platform for all the resources entrepreneur in the city for, you know, all walks of life to build companies. Whether you're building a burrito company or a high growth software business, you should be able to walk into the commons, understand where you can you know, get forms of finance, forms of mentorship, uh, you know, uh, get the ability to work with peers on formulating your idea, uh, you know, uh, pitch competitions. Like the intent is like, we wanna provide a platform to when people say, how can I do it? Uh, we can answer the question with, let me show you. Um, and so it's, it's been a gift to the community and again, purely stood up by hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs and incredible sponsors that have made it possible. 
Congratulations on both. You know, does your wife ever look at you and say no when you come up with another idea or something else you want to be part of? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just you know, I'm looking at your, you know, you're trying to, to be involved with the Commons, Denver Startup Week. You're the C CEO of High Wing. You're on a bunch of boards and volunteer stuff, including the Goodwood Club uh, with Taylor Kirkpatrick and a bunch of other guys. Uh, I mean, I'm just like, how the hell does this guy find time to even breathe? And then you told me he had three little kids at home. <laughs> you know, I think uh, um, I had a uh, poster that my mom gave me when I was seven that's been hanging here in my bedroom or my bathroom my entire life and still hanging there today. And it's uh, there's a poster that, you know, had 21 uh, rules of success. And, uh, you, know, you know, whether subliminally or whether intentionally, uh, the number one rule on that on that uh, on that list is that uh, number one, uh, marry the right person. It determines ninety percent of your success and happiness. And uh, there's nothing more true than that in my marriage. I mean, I think you know, mental, incredible marriages are those that um, you know meet each other and understand each other. Uh, you know, with where they where they stand, um, but always guide each other and support each other with where they want to go. And you know, I just I'm blessed that. You know, I've got a wife that understands uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, she understands ambition. Uh, she understands generosity. And, um, and, you know, she has an incredible giving heart herself. And so I think we both spend a lot of time just trying to figure out how we can help our friends, help our community, help raise our kids. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of moments in the day that I don't think we want to just figure out how we can give back and give back more. And uh, she's, nice. she's special and you know, wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff without being able to uh, have such an amazing partner. Nice call out, my friend. You're 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 out of the doghouse for a long time now. You can screw up for a few weeks after that speech. Nice job. <laughs> now nah, special, super special. Nice of you to call her out like that. Seriously. Um, okay, so so tell me, so so give me the high wing. Let's start off with the three minute elevator pitch for the for everybody that uh, needs to know what you guys do. Just give it to us, high wing, and then I'll ask you a bunch of questions. Go for it. Absolutely. So high wing is the first. Uh, open data platform for commercial insurance. Uh, in simple terms, uh, we're building a transaction system to connect brokers and carriers uh, to efficiently uh, digitally transact insurance policies. Okay. Today, um, when we look at the world of, uh, if, if, you, if you own a business and especially a large one, um, your entire transaction of uh, your insurance relationship is predominantly over email. Uh, we recognize that back in 2017 that the um, $800 billion policies were trading like they were in 1995. And so an incredible group of uh, you know, engineers here in Denver and you know, now even nationally have partnered up to you know, really drive and build a platform uh, that really you know, speeds uh, up the process of acquiring complex uh, insurance. Um, and most importantly, uh, starts to really digitize the overall trade between uh, the brokers and carriers that actually transact it. Okay, very good. It's highwing.io for the listeners, by the way. How big is the company right now, Eric, as far as, I don't know if you want to give us employee count or client count or, you know, however you measure it. Yeah, today, um, you know, we, we just uh, recently closed a, a recent seed round um, nice. and uh, have some incredible investors and, and partners that joined us in the journey. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of the size of the business today, uh, you know, we're 14 uh, strong employees. Uh, that uh, you know really are uh, you know predominantly engineering. I mean, we can imagine that when we're trying to connect a lot of different systems and 
and uh, move a lot of information to transact insurance. Uh, you know, we're overwhelmingly uh, engineering and product-led, uh, but we do have uh, some of us that uh, do business and operations to make sure that uh, the trains run and our clients are served. But you're up and running. You're post-revenue. You have clients, all the good stuff. Yeah, we do. We work, <laughs> we work with uh, you know, three of the top five uh, commercial insurance carriers in the world. If you think about those who sponsor golf tournaments, uh, we probably work with one or two or three of them. Um, nice. and, then, and then in the world of, um, you know, kind of platform uh, broker networks, you know, we cater to uh, the, uh, the middle market brokerage firms that uh, understand that innovation uh, is not only uh, a strategy, but it's imperative for their development growth and uh, in their ability to compete in the future. And so when you look at the top 100 uh, brokerage firms in the United States, uh, we cater to, you know, really broker number five to broker uh, number 100, you know, kind of excluding the, the really big ones, you know, the, the Marsh, the Aon, the Willis, the Gallagher, the, you know, 25 to $50 billion enterprises. Okay. Okay. Very good. So uh, you said you just closed a, a round of funding. Now the, the original cash to get it started, was that IMA financial? Was that you? Was that bootstrapped? Was that angel? Walk, I don't know how much you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, IMA financial, uh, if you don't know it, as one of the leading financial services firms yeah. in Colorado um, with original roots uh, in Wichita with offices in, in Kansas City and uh, Dallas uh, and really just um, not only an insurance operation, uh, but you know, they sell personal line insurance, small commercial insurance uh, benefits, as well as a full wealth management operation, wholesale operation. So when you think about the world of insurance, uh, you know, they're a diversified financial services company that really has the ability to cover all aspects of risk. Um, okay. They're led by um, probably one of the most incredible um, community leaders and business leaders uh, in Colorado, a gentleman by the name of Rob Cohen, uh, who I've had the gift of getting to know over the last you know, decade and a half. Uh, first, you know, just by his heart for the community, uh, uh, every board of impact in the city, whether it's been Visit Denver, or the Chamber, or Down Timber Partnership, he's been the chair of at some point in time. Uh, he's led the uh, uh, Olympic bid. Uh, to put Colorado on the map, Colorado on the on the map uh, globally, uh, you know, working to host the uh, Winter Olympics uh, here in the state of Colorado, and he's just kind of been anywhere and everywhere trying to make this place uh, an amazing place to live and mm-hmm. raise our families. Mm-hmm. When and so that's how we really got to know each other was through that capacity. I've always admired him as a leader. I've admired him as an impact in the community, and um, we just got to know each other fairly well. And uh, you know, through that, um, I you know got to realize that he ran one of the most successful insurance businesses in the world. And I spent my career, uh, you know, building software companies, um, always working for founders or being a founder of high growth businesses in the software space. And um, really, he and I just started talking about um, the the revolution that was happening in insurance, kind of around the time that the word insure tech was being kind of, you know, put together. It's like I think 2015, 2016. Before that, insure tech wasn't even. A, term of our game. And, um, you, know, um, you know, coming in and understanding that Rob had really dabbled in some of the work uh, in his own brokerage of trying to understand how data and information could accelerate the trade. Um, you know, and he said, let's, let's really you know, do this together. I've got some inklings of an idea. Uh, I, I know that data is going to revolutionize our business. Um, I know that we've got a bunch of information that we're not fully utilizing and, you know, let's work together to really solve that you know, and build something that's industry changing. So, uh, I had a chance to work with Rob to formulate some of the initial underpinnings of, of, the, of the concept for, for Highwing, uh, really leading off some of his vision he had for, for the industry after being in it for 30 years. 
And, uh, and we molded that with some contemporary thinking around open data networks and the future of APIs and uh, data interoperability and the power of multiple data sources. And we came up with Highway. And uh, we took it out to our partners, our carriers and brokers and you know, our insureds and uh, immediately just had some really great reception. So we knew we were onto something. And so it's truly a story uh, of innovation within a large operating company of working with a group of uh, founders and entrepreneurs uh, my business partner uh, and co-founder, Jay Jashun, um, uh, is just an incredible uh, founder in his own right here in our Denver community. He not only built Denver Startup Week, runs all the technology stuff that we've been able to work with together, but when we're not doing community work, you know, he's, he's, he's been the magic behind uh, companies like Hello, which is one of the promising social networks that came out of our community back by Techstars. Um, mm -hmm. He was a, one of the leading stars back with one of our legendary uh, marketing and agency brand agency firms a company called Factory Design Labs, and he's built his own agency in the technology space. And so, you know, Jay and I looked at it from a technology perspective, um, and it really leveraged off of IMA's work uh, and Rob's initial thinking, and collectively came up with something we thought could really revolutionize the industry. Gotcha. Okay, so two co-founders that also had a conversation with Rob and IMA got involved early. That's what I heard you say. <laughs> yeah, really started that. I mean, this, this is a story of innovation out of IMA with the ability to kind of bring together software leadership to you know, okay. do something that's not native inside of insurance, which is built software. And gotcha. so the combination of those two things has been a really good platform for us to be successful. And you just closed uh, maybe a, what'd you call it a seed round? So is that kind of where you're at? And what's the, what's the next phase with cash raise or do you want to share any of that today? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, in November, um, we were really blessed to bring together both a portfolio of strategic partners um, and great institutional partners and close on a $4 million uh, seed round. I did four of those two things. Uh, and we, you know, uh, we moved uh, our operations uh, out of IMA Financial Group. And so okay. we were a wholly owned subsidiary going into that transaction coming out. Um, IMA is still a major majority shareholder, but we've got an incredible group of uh, new uh, shareholders in the business. Um, on the institutional side, we're really lucky to work with uh, the team at, at uh, Springtime Capital. Uh, okay. Great venture firm, early stage, forward-thinking, forward-thinking group, uh, service provider capital, who's been in a lot of incredible deals here in the state, um, and they, they've been uh, equally as awesome to work with. Um, and then we work with Cameron Ventures and, uh, and Rise of the Rest uh, Seed Fund, uh, which is a revolution uh, fund out of Washington, D.C., to, to really round out our institutional side. But the real story, I think, outside of the great institutional part that we had is that um, we realized we needed to build this company with a portfolio of brokers and carriers that believed it was the right solution. And so um, the, the, the round was led by uh, a firm named BrokerTech Ventures, which is a group of 13 incredible middle market brokers that are investing in innovation, as well as a publicly traded uh, brokerage firm called Baldwin Risk Partners. And collectively, um, we're all in this together uh, to really build a broker-facing solution for the industry, uh, backed by institutional capital and driven by the strategy and alignment from a product perspective with our uh, with our product partners. Mm. For you as a CEO, do you enjoy the cash raise part of it, do, or would you rather be involved in the day to day growth and activity of the business? Like, if you had to force rank them, what are your thoughts there? I think the most important thing as a CEO is uh, just the adapt, you know, ability to adapt uh, to the activities and the ever changing activities with with the job. Mm -hmm. um, having been part of uh, startup companies, you know, this being my fifth, 
you know, really from the ground up, you know, idea on a napkin phase to growing a business type uh, experience. Every single one's been a little bit different, but I think incredible CEOs have to be able to be adaptive to what the business is facing at that, at that immediate chapter um, and be the best they can be in that arena. So when we're fundraising, I'm maniacal. I, I love the fundraising process. I love meeting uh, new investors. I love meeting and talking about opportunities to build our business together. I love the process. Um, you know, I love the idea that we are really forging not just you know, a bank account, you know, cash into our company, but you know, these are partners that we're going to work with for anywhere from the next five years to the next decade to build an industry-leading company. So I over-index on you know the, the, the people side and the relationship side of fundraising, and I under-index on the capital. Like capital is an outcome of building incredible relationships, in my opinion, as it relates to fundraising. So I love I love that chapter. Um, I equally love that you know now that we've uh, been able to conclude that um, you know it allowed us to fully shift 100 of our our uh, our energy back to building you know what the vision was, which is a world class product in the category. Uh, I love understanding our clients' needs. I love working with our team to match you know the real solutions that you know are in, in our world, the desk level associated with insurance brokerage to, to software. And that's an incredible, incredible feeling when you get that right. And so I just think, and as a CEO, um, making sure you've got, you know, capital in the bank to be able to, to, to be in the game per se, um, to be able to recruit the best talent, which you know so much about. I mean, startups are a human game. Um, they're not a product game. They're not a market timing game. They're a human game. And so, you know, between capital and talent, uh, and then, you know, you know, the ability uh, to, to execute against those things. I feel like that's really the job. I, mean, I, I try to hire and be part of hiring incredible um, leaders and stay out of the way as much as possible. If you get if you get it right in the beginning, your job, both from management and from, you know, uh, oversight, just becomes so much less because you spend so much more time getting the person right. Mm -hmm. And great people uh, left to their own accord usually produce great results and uh that's where i get really excited mm, nice nice i couldn't have said it better on the people side what's been the biggest challenge so far for the company or you know the biggest hurdle so far you know i think uh we're, we're still in the early chapters of insurance innovation so but i mean it's it, it sounds funny in 2021 to say that like you know we're evolving the transaction uh you know uh, platform from email to a digital fully interactive, secure, encrypted, you know, multifunctional, you know, platform, right? That sounds like something that should have happened in the late 90s or early 2000s, like it did in financial services or healthcare. Um, you know, insurance, uh, because of the design, um, meaning that, uh, you know, got a lot of really big companies that have built really large technology platforms to be successful. Um, and I think just, uh, you know, the, the business is not, uh, had that catechismic function to change. So it's like, there hasn't been like that, you know, you know, the house is burning down moment that if we don't change our technology platform, we're not going to be able to write insurance next year. Like it's been in a cycle where if we're able to continue to do our work and we're able to uh, continue to use our system, we're able to bind policies and cover risk and the world seems to work. And so I really think it took um, you know, a lot of these you know, new entrants on the bottom of the market to press up a lot of the innovation. And, you know, everyone's been thinking about innovation. I just think the cycle sometimes in insurance, um, you know, they, they, they typically uh, can be because of the scales of these companies. 
Um, you know, they're all, you know, especially the major players are all multi-billion dollar enterprises. Right. Um, you're not turning things on a whim. You know, you're not <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in insurance, um, you're also not inventing product quickly. You know, things that are too good to be true uh, in insurance, they almost, they, they always are. And so you're not coming up with some fancy new trick uh, to cover, you know, to, you know, to beat the actuarial science that's lived on for 200 years that's going to, you know, reinvent risk markets. And so, you know, I think it's a very stable industry. Um, and, you know, I think when you have a really hungry, um, you know, uh, energetic, fast moving team, aligning the tempo in the market yeah. is always something we talk about. Like, mm, good you know, like how, how do we align our tempo externally with the tempo internally so we can create great product, but also work with our clients to build something. And so that, that's been something we've learned how to do the last couple of years. What's the long-term plan? Sell it to a big insurance company? <laughs> you know, we're hopeful that um, we really think that the transaction is the critical part of the overall engagement. When you think about um, the amount of insurance that transacts globally on an annual basis, and you think about, uh, especially in our, neck, in, in our neck of the woods, which is like, you know, $25,000 uh, annual premium, you know, kind of like client relationships and hires. So really, you know, it's meaningful businesses in the U.S. economy. Uh, when you think about that, um, you know, we get really excited about the opportunity to build a platform that, you know, we, that could be agnostic. So really bring together, you know, when I think about even about my startup community work or running an association or working for the governor, I've always sat at a table where um, I've had the mindset of like collaboration and the power of exponential thinking is always better than forging something by yourself. And that's fully injected in everything we do at High Wing. And so um, long-term, you know, I really hope we can be that meeting place, that water trough for the industry where we're able to bring together a large portfolio of brokers and bring together a large portfolio of carriers and improve the lives for the insured. And, um, you know, I look out and uh, I hope that we can be, uh, you know, a Vertifor-like company uh, in Denver and be one of the you know, one of the core pillars of our industry. How about the short term? What do you foresee 2021? I mean, is this going to be a great year for everybody? Is this going to be a mediocre year? What's Eric's uh, forecast? You know, I, I think we're still in the throes of uh, the unknown chips of uh, the year full, you know, kind of turning over. Uh, okay. You know, I think, you know, I've been really actively involved in a lot of the recovery work uh, here at a local level. Okay. And it's like, you know, there's effectively like almost two, 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 two barbells of the, of the pandemic. There's the part of the economies or the industries or the groups that are doing really well, having record years, you know, insurance happens to be one of those, especially with kind of rate increase plus kind of organic growth increases. You see a lot of brokerage firms and insurance companies posting really impressive uh, performance in 2020, early 2021. And then on the other side of that, um, you've got service industries, um, whether whether it's uh, retail or whether it's hospitality or whether it's our restaurant industry, whether, I mean, uh, and they're in really dire straits and not even looking at some of the things that are happening in commercial real estate and things like that. So, you know, I think um, I think the most, where I, where I have uh, most of my thinking centered as it relates to 2021, I'm, I've gone to the year and said, you know, how can we really bring a quality to the, to the, to the crisis? Like, how can, we, how, how can those who are doing really well do more to help those who are really struggling? I think right now there's still a bifurcation in our economy and in our communities of the haves and have-nots. And I just think if there's anything that happens really powerful in 2021, I just, I, I hope there's just that continued focus that the haves extend that hand 
and extend that and extend that that olive branch to those that are struggling, and we and we pull them up. And I think Colorado is uniquely situated to do that. We've got a lot of programs in, in, in light. Uh, the governor and the legislature has been kind in passing our own local, uh, you know, uh, response and kind of you know you know uh, you know funding activities around that. Nationally, it seems like we're on the edge of another stimulus, uh, you know, you know, push. Um, there's just lots of things that are in, in the ether that I think are all contributors to the recovery. Um, I think the most important thing is that uh, I was I would say that you know everything starts in your house, and then it's and then it goes to your neighborhood, and then it goes to your city, and then it goes to your state. And I think that if everyone starts in their house and helps their neighbors uh, get back on their feet, and all those neighbors start to help the cities that we're in help retail, you know, help our restaurant industry, help our service economy, help those that are really having a hard time. Uh, and then we can worry about what the state can do to, to kind of put on some jet fuel to bring us all up. I think I think I think it's gonna be positive. But you know, I think 2021 is still the story of it's gonna take some time to repair some of the damage that's happened from the pandemic. And uh, like I said, I'm just I'm looking for those awesome stories of uh Coloradans helping Coloradans to to bring us all back up to level. Well, I can tell you how I'm helping. I've gone to a bar or a restaurant almost every single night since they opened back up. <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, I, uh, I personally, I don't know about you, but yeah, I really missed that. Just be taking my wife out to dinner, uh, meeting my buddies for happy hour. Uh, you know, that I'm a social, I'm a very social being just like you. And so, yeah. you know, and I love my wife dearly, but I prefer not to see only her for 47 days straight. So I like to get out and see other people. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, since uh, I think what would we come off of? Uh, I can't remember what week things kind of started to open back up slowly. Uh, yeah, I've, I think I've been in a restaurant or a bar almost every day since then, because I need to not only because I want to be out and I'm a social person, but I feel bad for them. And I do want to contribute. I do want to be there spending my money, you know, to your point. So. Um, yeah, you, it, it, it takes all of us. And so I, I just I think if we can all just continue to encourage that, I try to do my part as well. Um, you know, both, you know, I mean, it's being back in the office and going to restaurants and like being part of the community, I think it's just really, really powerful, more powerful yes. than we know. But yeah, I think we can encourage to do that's great. And throw out some extra tips uh, if you can, because a lot of these waitresses and waiters and, and, and folks, I mean, they've been out of work, or they've been struggling. And so uh, I've been throwing out some pretty large tips myself lately as well. I love it. I love it. What, what do you think about, um, you know, what's the future of remote work with this whole pandemic thing? And maybe you can tie it into what you guys plan on doing as well there at High Wing. But beyond High Wing, what do you what do you think is going to happen globally with with remote work? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think I think we're all feeling that, you know, the cat's out of the bag, you know, you know that as it relates to remote work, I think that you know, um, as an economy and as industries, we were leaning into it uh, going into 2020. Uh, leaning into it, meaning like flexible work programs, stay at home, you know, you know, once a week, uh, you know, work from home, you know, type of environments. I mean, companies were getting more attuned to it just to be able to create a benefit environment that was flexible for working families, uh, you know, you know, uh, to be able to just be really very contributive to the office. And I think, you know, obviously the pandemic ripped the cover off that. I mean, it's like now we're there. Um, you know, going back, um, I think it's going to be really hard. You know, I think, I mean, two, I've seen two things in our business. I mean, I was a skeptic. You know, I've always been a, um, uh, you know, person that's like managed by walking around. Like I, I love, you know, being involved in the side discussion, sitting into a meeting, like checking up on, uh, you know, activities that are happening. I've always been taught and, and kind of learned, you know, from thinking of management by walking around strategy. 
Um, and zooming, you know, like it's so different. Like you can't manage by zooming around. You can't just pop to a meeting or, you know, you have to plan or schedule something. And, and so I've learned two things. I think one is, um, you know, this isn't going anywhere. I think it's going to be a very slow return um, to, you know, you know, what was, you know, kind of full capacity offices. And I don't know if we ever have full capacity offices. I think the companies are realizing that they can be highly productive and highly successful. Uh, providing a much more flexible work environment. And so I think as companies, you know, we've all got to figure out what our version of that is, but um, the companies that try to pull it away, uh, I don't just don't think that's, I don't think that's going to work in, in, a, in a good fashion for, you know, across industries. Um, the second thing, you know, I was, you know, it was so interesting when I thought, you know, about even Denver and, you know, we were kind of going into 2020 in a really big space squeeze, you know, like you know, there's some unfinished buildings and in, in Rhino and, you know, people started, you know, investing deeply in some of the work in, in Golden Triangle and there's a massive project, you know, along the river, uh, River Mile and like, you know, build, build, build because, you know, whether it's tech or oil and gas or aerospace, everyone was coming to town and eating up space. Yep. Um, I think one of the silver linings here is that uh, we can still continue that same velocity of growth, um, but we've got a, a nice little like pause in space for a while. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of companies reduce their space and that space is going to be filled with the same growing influx of, you know, HQ2s and migrations here and companies set up shop in Colorado and companies growing. And so I just think it gives Denver kind of a nice chance to catch its breath from a commercial real estate perspective. Uh, it's not positive for some of the new build work, but I think we're gonna kind of go down and go strongly back up uh, in, the, in the commercial space. Um, but I think, uh, you know, leading a remote team uh, is a very different skill set than leading a team in person every day. And I think it requires uh, uh, an entirely new level of skills that, you know, I can tell you, I, I work at and I'm not a pro at by any means every day, but, you know, I think we all strive to get better at it. But, you know, I think really valuing asynchronous communication, really valuing documenting things that are happening in the company, really valuing, you know, creating small digital wins, you know, throughout the team and building time and space in the week to be able to get together and do those things and try to bring some of that human interaction to the digital world. Like it just takes an entirely different discipline and, and kind of skill set um, and thinking around that work. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of companies really, really uh, thrive. And in our world, uh, I think our engineering team uh, will be uh, remote. We've had a lot of success growing our team uh, in and outside of Colorado. We've got associates in in, uh, in Oregon, in Indiana, and in Boston. And so we're, we're bullish on being able to kind of use the U.S. as our palette to uh, build our engineering and product team. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think having a, you know, some semblance of a, uh, of an HQ uh, with sales and client support and uh, kind of that congenial, uh, you know, energy that, that comes from, you know, a sales driven culture, um, you know, that's in our future. And I think when we have the chance to get back in August, September, October this year, uh, we'll be excited to jump back into a neighborhood and do that. Very good. I appreciate your thoughts on that. As we move towards wrap up, I'd like to ask you just some personal questions, uh, a little bit about yourself and get some advice uh, for the listeners. First, you know, you've done so much as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a business leader and an executive. What's one of the darkest moments you've had professionally that you might want to share with the uh, listeners today and maybe kind of walk into what you learned from it? You know, it's 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 uh, it's so funny that um, you use the word dark. Um, you know, I I'm an optimist, and I, I I it's it's hard as an entrepreneur, and and 
for me not to live in a world of optimism. Um, there's a there's a quote that I have hanging on my windshield um, that I, I look at daily, and the quote is is that um, uh, pessimism uh, is not an option because the human mind simply doesn't have enough knowledge. Like if we did, like, uh, like for me, I've always thought that like, I like it. even in the darkest of times, the most challenging of times, I'm lacking knowledge. I, I don't know what could happen. I don't know what's going to flip over. I don't know what's going to happen in the, in the industry. I don't know what's going to happen in my company. I don't know what's going to happen to my investors. Like there's so many unknowns every day when you're building a company that when you find dark moments, I just think you're giving into pessimism when you don't have the full knowledge of the world around you because it's ever evolving and ever changing. And so uh, dark is really hard. I mean, like, you know, I, there, there, there were moments in my career where, you know, uh, I've made you know, less money for periods of time, which, you know, I think on a personal level, like you get stressed out when you uh, have built a lifestyle and you have to kind of back it down. Um, but like, I wasn't any less happy. I wasn't, I mean, I was doing less, but I was like same. And so, you know, I, 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 I feel like, you know, uh, part of the, part of the entrepreneurial like, journey is, is to, is to, you know, just find the goodness and optimism in the thing because because mm -hmm. entrepreneurship can be a really cold, dark place if you're not optimistic because right. nine out of 10 times things never go your way. It's only the <laughs> time they go your way and you get to celebrate it for a second. Um, but I, I think one the darkest thing for me right now, uh, I've really, really had a hard time with um, the mental health uh, uh, issues and pandemic in our in our startup ecosystem, in yep. um, yep. our in our I would just say broadly in our in our business ecosystem. Um, yep. This year, more than ever, um, I've had uh, multiple in, encounters with um, mental health issues, from you know anxiety. Um, to depression, to you know, most recently, uh, some founders that have uh, made the decision to end their own life. And mm. you know, um, being a founder and being in those situations, um, it's so hard for me to like go to those places. But I also understand that you know, being an entrepreneur and building companies or doing that work, it does require a lot of it does require handling a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, and it makes me really sad to see when those things end up in those scenarios. So that's the part that, you know, I haven't figured out a solve there in terms of like how I can help other than being available for founders on an ongoing basis, you know, right. as those situations. But um, it's this year has been really hard and it's brought out more of that than ever, because I just think, you know, we have, you know, uh, the pandemic, you have an economic crisis, a health crisis, a, a political yep. crisis, uh, uh, you know, you know, there's, there's layered crises that are contributing to it. It's just allowed mental health to rear its ugly head. It's been really painful to watch. You know, I, I was thinking of, of an example. I mean, can you imagine being, let's call it, let's call it a 40 year old uh, entrepreneur sitting in their apartment, not married, no kids. They live in a state where they don't have any family nearby. Their business is crashing because of the pandemic and they're trapped in their home and can't go to a restaurant or a bar or to the gym or anywhere. That is a scary thing. And that's the exact scenario. Humans are built uh, to withstand a lot, uh, but I think humanity has its limits. And um, you know, yep. the brain is the most powerful thing that we have in our bodies. And, and um, you know, it can get, it can get uh, 
on, on the wrong track. And, you know, I just, I, I'm, I, I've got an eye out for it. Um, I've been, I have been you know, blessed to be able to contribute and help some folks that have had a hard time this year in that, in that arena. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've missed some cues. And when you miss cues and people disappear from your life, uh, it's devastating. And, yep. uh, and you can ask yourself, like, why didn't I see that? Why couldn't I have been part of that? Why couldn't I have picked the phone one more time? And that's really hard. Those are two big pieces of advice for the listeners today on this episode. Number one, if you sense anything might be wrong, ask the question, dig in. Um, and if you are needing help, reach out, right? Like reach out to another entrepreneur, a fellow co-founder, call RiderFlex. You can call me anytime you want to, but reach out to somebody um, and talk to them, right? And I, I think that's encouraging. The good news is, as we record this on February 4th, 2021, things are opening up a little bit and people can't get out a little bit in Colorado. So that's, that's the good news. Um, two, I know we're almost out of time. Two final questions. If you could call the young 21-year-old Eric and tell him anything today based on what you know now, what would that be? Relax. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's so funny. Um, I help um, I'm the co-chairman of a leadership organization. And we've got a lot of aspiring 20, 30-year-olds that we work with in some of our programs. And, um, you know, I've, I've looked at, you know, your 20s as a time to kind of you know, put your relationships in the ground and your 30s to really understand the ones you want to carry with you and your 40s to really triple down on the ones that are important in your 50s to enjoy the awesome relationship of being able to carry and refine over the course of you know, kind of three decades. And, um, you know, I just think that uh, um, my 20 year old self, um, you know, probably wanted things to happen way too fast. I probably was disappointed that I didn't uh, achieve what I wanted to achieve in short periods of time. And I would just, I would say, relax. And the other thing I would say is that, um, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, do anything. Like, I just think that in your 20s, I just, uh, I'm uh, looking back, um, you know, I was lucky that I had, to, I was able to work in some early stage companies um, and, uh, and work for some really great founders. But when I look at my 20s, um, I gave 100% of my 20s. Uh, to founders um, that, you know, um, that I was building their dream. I was creating value for their equity. I was building, you know, their story. And uh, I just encourage entrepreneurs to be cognizant that, uh, to bet on themselves earlier. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't take anything back, uh, but I just think that um, being more confident in your own ability to go build a business by yourself uh, or with a great co-founder, a great group of people, I think the earlier you can come to grips with that, uh, the, the more exciting it's going to be to be an entrepreneur. So much to me. Final question for you, uh, Eric. If you could put your core purpose into a sentence, or at least what your core purpose is today at this stage in life, what would that sound like? I live uh, to bring out the best in humans, period. And so whatever, whatever they are in their life, whatever they want to be in their life, like if I have the opportunity to uh, bring them a connection, uh, give them a piece of advice, um, invest in them, you know, uh, and just sponsor them. Um, I just, I, I want to, my, my purpose is to allow uh, everyone that I work with to be uh, the best version of themselves. And I hope that I can just you know, continue to drive on every ounce of the path.
capacity to give as much as I can give. Excellent. Eric, thank you so much for being on the RiderFlex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Steve, thank you. Um, you're running a really great business in Colorado. I was lucky to have you and your team here and uh, uh, really excited to see uh, with all the growth, development, and continued innovation uh, in your industry, um, you know, and, and really Colorado being the, the uh, laboratory for a lot of that work. Um, you know, it's really cool to see what you've been able to develop and the impact you're having uh, in growing it. So thank you. Thank you, sir. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.